Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley's behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. It's how you have board on this Tuesday night. We'll get back to the Eagles stuff. And my assertion, my belief that this city needs to apologize to Jonathan Gannon for really not believing in this guy and saying he was a bad defensive coordinator, wanted him out of here, get out of town. This guy's done a heck of a job led by that performance against the Giants in the division round. We'll get back to that and all the Baseball Hall of Fame stuff. Scott rolling in. It sounds like the Phillies will honor him with a day at Citizens Bank Park coming up uh, next summer, which is awesome. I think they should. He was uh, he was drafted here, developed here, became a star player here. Obviously, his best years ended up at St. Louis after a trade. But Scott rolling in the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Rollins gets a little over 12%. How about Jason Worth getting a big, big old zero on the vote, which, I mean, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but a zero? I would like to fill the the niche of being the Hall of Fame voter who votes for the guys who won't get in. Yeah, I, like, just throw them a bone. Like, Jared Weaver got a vote, but Jason Worth didn't. It's weird how they pick and choose who gets the one vote. But, yeah, no votes for uh, for, for Jason Worth. All right, we'll get back to all that. 215-592-9494. First, though, to the guest line, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, joining us to talk about championship weekend and the Eagles and the Niners. Brad, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Brad, we're doing well. Excited for this game on Sunday. And it does feel, Brad, like these two teams are kind of going to meet their match in this game. And you, you go through it. The Niners really did not face much of a schedule this season. I mean, they really didn't face many great offenses. You know, Mahomes beat them in October. But they've reeled off all these wins. They deserve credit. But I, I could kind of make the same case for the Eagles. It feels like we, we need this game to determine how good these two teams are because they both – I think for the most part, beaten up on decent but not great schedules. It's funny you mention that. At PFF, for our strength of schedule ratings, we have the Eagles with the second easiest schedule and Niners with the easiest schedule. So, you know, quite literally at the extremes there. And as you said, though, it's not like they were skating by with one score wins. They were blowing bad teams out. So, so you, you can't hold that against them too much. I think they both deserve to be in this game this weekend. Brad, when you look at the the matchups here, if you had to pick one out that excites you the most, whether it's a corner on a receiver, of you know, offensive line versus defense line, because there's so many great ones. It feels like, you know, we could list seven, eight, nine matchups that that these coaches are probably like just in the office right now trying to figure out like how do I win this one? Which one just has your interest as we get towards Sunday? There really are so many awesome matchups to look forward to. Uh, you know, I think the trenches is a fun spot because both teams are really elite on both sides, but for me I'm excited for A.J. Brown to go up against Charvarius Ward, and I think it's a matchup that goes strongly in Philadelphia's favor. Ward's a good player, got a nice you know, contract this past offseason from San Francisco, but where he's had issues is his bigger-bodied physical receivers on the outside that can you know, get him in their hip pocket and, and kind of you know, get downfield. We saw it with D.K. Metcalf in Seattle. He beat him down the field multiple times. We saw it with C.D. Lamb this past week against Dallas. When he was lined up on the outside, he was able to take advantage of Charvarius Ward and even Michael Gallup on, the, on that bad throw from Dak Prescott. But, you know, Ward was the guy he had beaten before that throw. So I think that is a key matchup for Philadelphia. And A.J. Brown, if he can get fully healthy, um, could exploit that to a good degree. Brad, it, it might feel weird me asking this, and, and this town loves the run game, but and I know the Eagles just ran for 268. But do you think, as we look forward to this game, is it worth it for the Eagles to try to run the ball a lot? I, I keep wondering this, and I think back, I, I think there's some similarities between this Niners defense and the 2017 Vikings. They were the number one third down defense ever. They were really good against the run. And I think back to that game plan the Eagles had that night when they won the NFC title. They threw it a lot down the field. Nick Foles to Alshon Jeffrey, Nick Foles to, to Torrey Smith. And, and I'm wondering this weekend, 
do you think it's worth it for the Eagles to kind of pound their head against a brick wall and try to run it? Or, or do you think maybe let Jalen Hurts try to throw the ball down the field to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith? I really do think that is the, is the correct way to go about this. Because of course, you want a balanced offense. You want to you know, keep them guessing and not be too predictable. But the way they win this game, in my opinion, is by downfield passing outside the numbers and just beating them at their, you know, their one weakness, if you wanted to pick one out, on this Niners defense is their outside cornerbacks. And, you know, their strength is probably against the run, um, you know, second-best run defense and EPA per play, so a context-adjusted metric there. And then also, they allowed the fewest explosive rushes in the NFL. So not just good on a down-to-down basis, but only 16 rushes of 10 or more yards the entire season, so less than one per game. Um, it's, the, it's the least in the NFL by a significant margin. Um, and so I do. I think Philadelphia, you know, with Jalen Hurts, that's a different element. They're, they're, uh, the Niners weren't as good defending scrambles and quarterback design runs. Um, but in terms of handing the ball off to a running back, you know, good luck running against this defense. So, Brad, let's go to the Hurts factor. Last year when these two teams played, and it was, you know, it was early in – it was this week two. It was early in Hurts' time as a starter. He was a different player then. And obviously the Niners were better now than they were last year, I think, on defense. But – he did run for 80 yards against them last year. And then you look at some mobile quarterbacks over the past couple of years. You mentioned some of the stats. Mariota this year ran on them. I, I just keep wondering, you know, de- turnovers have been a big part of how the Niners do things. And Jalen Hurts usually pretty good at not turning it over. I wonder if there's a couple plays or more, more than that where it's either a tight window throw over the middle or he takes off and tries to get five or six and convert the first down. How big of a part do you think Hurts' legs could be? More I'm, I'm thinking scrambles for positive yardage rather than just, you know, kind of the run game element with him in the RPO? I, I think where that will be a huge factor is on third downs. You mentioned that Marcus Mariota Atlanta Falcons game earlier this year. They converted 9 of 12 third downs of three yards or less, and it was a lot of, you know, read option, zone read with Marcus Mariota, and a lot of times keepers, or like you said, really just dropping back, not seeing anything, and scrambling, or maybe it's a pseudo-scramble with a draw element where the quarterback knows they can draw it and just take it themselves up the middle if nothing develops. And so I think that is going to be a huge part of their short yardage game plan, in particular on third downs, which Hurts looked good doing last week and I think will matter potentially a lot in this game. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, joining us here as we talk Eagles-Niners and the NFC title game coming up on Sunday. Brad, the other side of the football I mean, it, we, we've been doing this for seven, eight, nine weeks. When is the bad Brock Purdy game going to happen? It hasn't happened yet. What have you noticed over the last couple weeks? It feels like he's starting to leak some oil, though. Early in that game against the Seahawks, they had a chance to pick a couple. They didn't. And then I just thought he was just okay. You know, he, he got by against Dallas. Do you see some, some signs here that he's about to be exploited? You know, the underlying metric of our turnover-worthy plays, which, we, you know, we track at PFF and essentially just, you know, did the quarterback put the ball in a dangerous position? He had a couple in that game against Seattle. And then you mentioned last week, I mean, Trevon Diggs dropped a pretty clear interception right by the goal line. Could have been kind of a game-turning play there. So he's gotten away with it so far. But they, they, they are eventually that, that luck turns. You know, we, we see that year after year. I do think maybe this very fortuitous Eagles defense with, you know, Bradbury and Chauncey Gunner-Johnson, all these guys with a bunch of interceptions, Maybe this is the week he finally turns the ball over uh, because he, he's had some close calls, no question. 
Brad, when you look at this Niners offense, what what do you think is how they're going to attack the Eagles? Like when you look, at, we know the Eagles are really good at corner. Niners have good receivers. Uh, when you look at it, do you think they're going to come in here and try to run the ball? I mean, that teams have done that to the Eagles, or is this going to be a George Kittle kind of game? Like if you're in, if you're kind of projecting how Shanahan might might look at the Eagles and say that's where I'm going to go get them on Sunday, what's your guess there? I think you just touched on the two keys for me. So obviously, you know, you and I have probably talked about the Eagles' run defense on this show many times. Um, you know, it is it is the weakness of this defense, and I think you will see, you know, Debo Samuel carries, Christian McCaffrey carries, Elijah Mitchell get involved, um, and then also over the middle. Now, I mean, T.J. Edwards and Kaiser White are both solid coverage linebackers, you know, maybe not elite coverage linebackers, and I think they will try to attack over the middle and up the seams with George Kittle and also with the receivers, too. You know, Slay and Bradbury are phenomenal players having good seasons, but I don't love the matchup of, you know, short yardage guys that can get the ball and then make guys miss. I, I think Slay and Bradbury are kind of better against those big-bodied, you know, outside wide receivers. Those are great matchups for them. The shifty smaller guys that can catch the ball in front of them and maybe make them miss in space, I, I think it's not a terrible matchup. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot of it's going to be underneath, short passes, and then just hope you can make Eagles defenders miss tackles in space. Brad, I mean, obviously, a key to this, it's a key to every Eagles game, is their pass rush. I mean, 70 sacks in the regular season, five more last week, up to 75 now this season. When you look at that matchup, um, what do you think about the Niners' offensive line against the Eagles' defensive line? It just feels like the last month and a half, nobody can block these guys. Yeah, they really can. And, and well, Trent Williams on the, on the left side is probably the one guy you can. You know, might be the best left tackle in the NFL uh, and one of the best left tackles ever, but the weak spot where I think Philadelphia is going to have a lot of success, in particular a guy like Hassan Reddick, is against right tackle Mike McGlinchey, the former top 10 pick. He's a solid player, but he is a leaky pass protector. And his issue is he's six foot eight and plays tall, right? He doesn't, you know, at times his snaps, he lacks bend. And if Reddick can use a speed outside move and use his bend to get around the edge, you could see him dip and almost turn style Mike McGlinchey to where he doesn't get hands on him at all. I think that is the key pass rush matchup in this game for the Eagles. So, Brad, when you think about this game, I mean, we talked about how the Eagles could, could make make some plays, shot plays against the Niners. You talked about how the matchup might favor the Niners receivers against the Eagles' corners. Are you thinking this game might be a little bit higher scoring than people think? I always wonder when there's two great, you know, or really good defenses. I think the perception is low scoring, but we also have really good offensive coaches and playmakers. What's your guess on how this one plays out? Yeah, I actually do think it's going to be a high-scoring game. They're the, they're the first, or sorry, second and third best offenses in EPA per play, and the Niners are actually first since Brock Purdy took over. Um, and then also, you know, yes, both have ferocious pass rush units, but both teams also have great offensive lines. So as long as they can hold up long enough to let their quarterbacks see the play develop, see some routes come open, I do. I think the Eagles can win with some downfield shots on the outside, and maybe you get some explosive plays like we saw you know, right out of the gate with Deontay Smith in the 40-yard catch against the Giants. A.J. Brown moved before against the Giants in Week 18, had the big bomb, you know, open that game. So I think they're going to try to do that early and try to get a lead and try to push the ball downfield. And then, yeah, for the Niners, like I mentioned, of course the Eagles have a good defense, but I just think they have so many weapons right now and that if they can get them with some room to operate, they're going to make some guys miss and get some of those long you know, yards after the catch completions. I do. I, I think I'm in the minority here, but I, I like the over in this game. You know, if I was looking at the total of about 46, whatever it is right now. Brad, we'll end with this, um, and, and I'll, I'll use a caveat here. Let, let's assume three weeks from now Patrick Mahomes is, is back to 
close to full health. So that, that's not really a factor here. If you were the Eagles and you could choose who you'd want to play in the Super Bowl, assuming the Eagles get there, would you rather face the Chiefs or the Bengals? That's a great question. I, I would still go – if we're assuming Mahomes is healthy, I would go – I'd rather play the Bengals. Look, they, they obviously just overcame – you know, all these injuries, you know, against the Buffalo Bills. But I reminded myself of a couple of years ago when the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers. And they were able to overcome their offensive line injuries. They were down both starting tackles and were missing a guard and, 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 and through most of the playoffs. And they just kept winning. And I kind of, we all just told ourselves, like, okay, Patrick Mahomes is just so good that it doesn't matter, I guess. But I think the Bengals, look, they played well. They were more physical. They beat up the Bills in a lot of ways. But – I think playing in the snow helped them. And I think the Bills without Von Miller is just not a good pass rush unit. I mean, for us, they were 27th in pressure rate um, when, without blitzing once they lost Von Miller. They were fourth in pressure rate with Von Miller without blitzing. So I, I think you still want that matchup against the Bengals because this Eagles defensive line that we just talked about against a, you know, a banged-up and shaky Bengals O-line, I know they've gotten away with it a lot of games going back the last two years. But I think eventually it will catch up to them, and you hope that's in the Super Bowl against Philadelphia. Brad, always appreciate hopping on. Brad Spielberg of Pro Football Focus. Thank you, Brad. Yes, thank you. There he goes. Brad, uh, who does great work over there. So his choice would be the Chiefs, uh, the Bengals over the Chiefs to play if we're assuming Mahomes is, is, is back to healthy in three weeks. I don't feel exactly the same way. I think I'd rather play the Chiefs. We'll talk about that uh, later on this week. But one thing that he mentioned there, and so – I don't know if this has happened much this year. I mean, I think usually we kind of know we're going with Boston Scott against the Giants, but I, I got to say I'm excited about Friday night, our football Friday show, because we always do our same game parlay over at FanDuel, because this is probably the one Tucker and I have d- done the most early thoughts on. I mean, this whole thing is setting up for an A.J. Brown game. So we got the fact that he was upset and asked Howard earlier what it was, and who knows, was he banged up? Was he frustrated? Was he getting the ball? I don't know. But A.J. Brown, not thrilled about things during the game on on Saturday. I think the Eagles tend to try to fix those moments when they happen, and I think they'll be back on the same page as, as you know Brown on, sun, on this coming Sunday. Then you go to the matchup itself. The Niners, for as great as their defense is, they can be beat down the field. DK Metcalf did it in the first game. CeeDee Lamb did it in the last game. Like Number one wide receivers down the field can make plays against this defense. And you think about the Niners, they suffocate the middle of the field. So if you, like, you think about how the Eagles have transformed their offense, yes, they throw over the middle now more than they, they did a year ago. But that's not really how to attack the Niners. Outside the numbers, down the field. And think about how Jalen Hurts has become a, a really effective thrower making those deep shot plays down the field. Think about the Bears game where they throw like six of them and he hit a couple of them deep down the field. I'm, I think this is setting up for A.J. Brown. And then I went back and looked. A.J. Brown, the last time he played the Niners, was late last season when he was in the Titans. They get like 16 targets, 11 catches, 100-and-something yards. Tucker, I know we have we have some time before our same-game parlay later this week for the Eagles and the Niners, but I'm feeling an A.J. Brown night. Yeah, and the one thing Nick Sirianni, I think, has done really well this season is he's really good at stroking his players' egos, and he's really good at making sure everyone is kind of involved. Although, have you noticed Quest Watkins hasn't been a part of the offense the last couple of weeks? Well, Pascal actually played more this past game because I think they knew they were going to run it and needed the blocking. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't I don't know what a snap count is. I don't have it in front of me, but I know he wasn't targeted in the past game. I know Pascal outplayed him or, or played more snaps. But you look at what A.J. Brown's done. I mean, he has only a few games this year where he's really struggled. He had three catches for 32 yards against Arizona in Week 5. 
bounced back at eight targets, five catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown the next week. He only had one catch for seven yards and then lost to, to Washington. Bounced back at seven targets, five catches, 60 yards against Indianapolis. Only had four for 48 uh, against Green Bay. And then he had his biggest game of the year, a little revenge game, eight for 119 and two touchdowns the following week against Tennessee. I could see it kind of going the same way. I mean, you look at what he did leading into that Giants game, 70 yards, 181 yards, 103, 97, 95. I think he's going to be a big part of this offense. I think Nick Sirianni understands what to do. I think he understands the the heat of the moment, and I would be shocked. You know that deep ball they threw to Devontae Smith in the first drive? Yep. I would be shocked if there isn't a play similar like that drawn up for A.J. Brown. Yeah, and I just think about the way this game might flow on, on Sunday, and I think the number one thing for the Eagles have to avoid turnovers. I mean, the Niners have had the number one um, field of position in the NFL since Purdy took over. They give them short fields because other teams turn the ball over. So, uh, you know, obviously they got to protect the football. But I always think deep passes, and I'm not talking about like 15 or 20 yards. I'm talking about 40 or 50-yard bombs. Aren't they the safest form of taking a chance? Like, what is the worst that happens there? Like, let's say let's say they're on their own 40-yard line, and Jalen Hurts lines up, and he sees one-on-one on the outside with Brown against Ward. And and he kind of gives them the look, and they, they both know it's it's a it's a go pattern, right? It's, it's down the field, 40, 45 yards. I will throw it up. You go make a play. What's the worst that happens on that play? The Niners intercepted on the 20 on their own 20-yard line? Like, to me, those are not the kind of plays that cost you the game. You know what costs you the game? You try to fit a tight window throw over the middle on your own 35-yard line, and they pick it off, and Brock Purdy has to go, you know, 35 yards for a touchdown. Or he only has to go 10 yards, and it's an easy field goal, and it's points for the Niners. Like, those are the plays I worry about. Deep down the field, I almost think there's almost no way it goes bad unless it's picked. But even that, it's not going to destroy the game. You know, it's going to go incomplete most likely. It's going to be caught. It could be pass interference on the defense. You get an easy first down. That's their weakness. You know, I I know because of the way they played on Saturday, I think there's going to be a lot of people with an expectation they're going to run the ball against the Niners. You know, you go back, and I think there's a lot of similarities, a lot, between the Niners and that 2017 Vikings team. Down to the quarterback thing, right? It was Case Keenum then, it's Brock Purdy now. Some of the numbers. That that Vikings team was amazing against the run. I don't have the box score in front of me, but Tucker, I, I would guess if you go back to the, the NFC title game against the Vikings. Now, obviously, they had a lead at the end, so they probably ran a bunch at the end. I would imagine the first half of the game, the Eagles were passing the ball a lot. I mean, I just, I remember it. They were throwing. Yeah, and, you know, they, they had a few deep bombs. And yep. if you go back to that game, it was Nick Foles' arm that, that kind of, you know, thrust them into the spotlight. And if you look at their first half stats, as I stall here. Well, I mean, I, my memory tells me they threw the ball a lot in the first half of the first game. First half, Nick Foles was 15-22 for 208 yards and a touchdown. That's a lot of passes for the first half. And and when I remember, if I remember correctly, the Vikings were a great run defense, and the Eagles. I, I know everyone wants them to run the ball and, and run like you got to do what you got to beat each team with what their weakness is. And the Niners' weakness is you could throw the ball deep down the field on the outside against them. Yeah, I mean by the end they had thirty three passes to thirty runs, but that was because they were up. They were up twenty what twenty four seven at halftime. I mean the game basically was over. Yeah, I mean we talked about it a little bit last week. The one thing that team did really well was kind of win both sides of the half. Yep. And what they did there, they had that uh, Jeffrey touchdown. They forced a fumble, had a, a field goal at the end of the first half, and then a Torrey Smith touchdown 
on the other side of the second half. It went like a 17-0 run. It was 14-7 with less than a minute to go in the first half. It was 31-7 by the time the Vikings had a chance to breathe. Yeah, and how about and here are the chunk plays. How about this? I'm looking at the longest reception for each of the top receivers. Ertz, 36-yard reception. Jeffrey, 53. Torrey Smith, 41. Aguilar, 42. Like, they made chunk plays in the passing game, even against a defense that I remember the whole story that week was like they were the best third-down defense ever. And the Eagles, how about this? Don't get into third downs. First down, throw the ball deep. I, I think as much as last week was a different kind of game plan, it was running the ball, it was short passing other than the Devontae play, it was efficiency. This week feels different. Like the best way to attack the Niners, if you're going to line up and try to run the ball on them because we have a big, bad offensive line, I think it's going to create a lot of third and fours, third and fives, where you get four or five yards in the first two runs combined, and then you're, you're trying to, to – make a first down somehow, some way. Like, there, there is a world where the Eagles could create real, real chunk plays against the Niners. And I, I trust Jalen Hurts that throw it down the field, probably won't be a pick. And the connection between Hurts and A.J. Brown, Hurts and Devontae Smith, it's been good all year. I mean, and I, I think that, like, when you think about the Eagles the last couple of years, how they built this thing, their biggest investments, really, the last two years have been A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith first-round pick last year, and they traded a first-round pick and a third-round pick this year. I I don't mind putting the game on Jalen, throw to Devontae and AJ. I feel like that's I, – I, I could live with that if they lose that way. Yeah, I think the 49ers probably have the best linebacking core in the NFL with, with Trey Greenlaw, with uh, Fred Warner. I mean, did you see Fred Warner covering? Amazing. Seeding Lamb, like 30 yards down the field? He turned – he broke, he, he flipped his hips, and he ran with them like as if he was a, a corner. Yeah, I mean, this is a game, and we talked about last week how Dallas Goddard would figure big against the Giants because they don't really have any linebackers, and their safeties are a little undersized, uh, like Xavier McKinney. Right. And he had a big game. I think this is a game where you kind of focus on the wide receivers. You try to use your speed. You try to beat them over the top because I think they are susceptible to big plays. Yeah, and I'm, I also wouldn't be surprised if, if they use Goddard as a blocker sometimes, too, to help with the pass rush, help with what D'Amico Ryans is bringing, give Hurts an extra half second to take that deep shot down the field. I, I think that's the way they'll go. 215-592-9494. That's how you hop in. We'll come back. Your phone calls. We got to play for you. I thought this was interesting. Rick Spielman, former NFL GM with the Vikings, he talked about his first meeting with Jalen Hurts, his interview with Jalen Hurts at the Combine. He was blown away by me. You'll hear that next. And projected spreads for all four potential Super Bowls. Are the Eagles the favorite? Are they underdogs? I thought this was really interesting. We'll hit it next on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Gillio with you. Tucker Bagley's behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. As we try to get everyone to apologize to Jonathan Gannon. Talking about the future of the Hall of Fame. A lot of people out there... uh, What's the word you'd use uh, to describe how people feel about Scott Rowland making the Hall of Fame? Less than thrilled? Kind of shrugging their shoulders? Annoyed? It's somewhere between indifferent and outraged, and I don't get either one. Yeah, I mean, I, if you want to be indifferent to anything, I guess it's your choice. That, I mean, that, But it's like, he played here. I mean, why would you be indifferent to him? But the outrage is silly. He, 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 like, I thought, I thought Howard's, I disagreed with him, but he just didn't think he's quite at the level, and that's fine. We have different ideas of what the level should be. But he was, at, at bare minimum, he was an outstanding player. Whether or not you think that's Hall of Fame worthy, like, He's not just some guy, Scott Rowland. 
Yeah, I just don't get, and you can go and look at his counting numbers and say, well, he only hit 314 home runs as a third baseman. But he was a Hall of Very Good offensive player and a generational defender, right? I mean, if you want to talk about greatest defensive third basements in the history of the sport. He's there. It's Mike Schmidt, Scott Rowland, then Brooks Robinson. And Nolan Arenado now. And Nolan Arenado, who now has 10 gold gloves. I mean, he's an elite company there. I just think it's weird that at shortstop, we can put in Ozzie Smith and Nolan bats an eye, even though he could barely hit his weight. And Scott Rowland, who was a plus offensive player, had a career OPS plus of 122, which is nothing to sniff at. Mm -mm. We kind of laugh at and say, well, he only hit 316 home runs and only had... 1,300 RBIs doesn't count. Also, aren't we doing this in, in the modern times? Like Whenever anyone brings up um, Yadier Molina, right? he just played his last game, right? He's done. He, the Phillies knocked him out in the playoffs. Isn't he going to get in for the exact thing we're talking about? He was Also, Scott Rowland's 16th among third basemen in home runs. Yeah. I, he did, I mean, again, there's not that many third basemen that could hit. I mean, I, I, don't, I just think this is getting overlooked. Now, we actually have a lot playing right now, and Beltre gets in next year. So Beltre is a better hitter than Roland. Uh, Arenado... Machado, so eventually he'll get pushed down the list of the all-timers. But whatever, I mean, right now you vote him in based on right now. But isn't this what, like, isn't this why Yadier Molina is going to make the Hall of Fame? Yadier Molina was an above-average offensive catcher and a great defensive player. Like this isn't new. I mean, it's, this is this is the way it's gone for a long time. I I think he was a Hall of Famer, and it's a shame his career with the Phillies didn't work out better. Um, all right, before we go back to the lines here, I want to I want to play this because I thought it was interesting. Uh, Rick Spielman, he is doing a new podcast now. I believe it is about the draft. It's like a daily draft podcast. Um, and he does it with Ryan Wilson, who's been a guest of this show in the past. CBS, I think, is the is where they house this podcast. But I thought this was interesting. Rick Spielman talking about Jalen Hurts and his impression of Jalen when they met and they had the pre-draft uh, interview. I guess this is when Spielman was the GM of the Vikings. Jalen Hurst was the most professional interview hmm. besides Matt Ryan and, and Peyton Manning that I ever wow. saw. And I didn't know because there were some questions about can he play in the league, not play in the league. But when I sat there and talked to that kid, I could have talked to that kid for an hmm. hour. And his personality wasn't like over the top. But to sit there and talk football with him, to talk through the adversity that he went through from Alabama to Oklahoma, those things show you what that kid is made of. So I think it's interesting hearing that. Because you, have you noticed we, we have two different Jalen Hurtses? Same guy, but he clearly knows how to separate his personality. There is the locker room Jalen Hurts. I'm sure everyone probably heard the latest uh, post game with um, in the locker room, the, like the, the speech that Brandon Graham and the Jalen Hurts gave. You ever notice those pre those post games when he's with his teammates? And I, I mean, I know, I'm sure he's aware there's a camera in there, but like, doesn't that feel like a personal thing? It's like him and his teammates. You ever notice the way Jalen Hurts talks in those? And I, I don't mind it, but every other word Jalen Hurts says in those settings when he's when he's just with his guys has to be bleeped out. He has a way of being very non-formal, very like real with his guys in the locker room. And yet he talks to the podium. He talks obviously to GMs at the combine. He's professional. Like he's like Peyton Manning. He's like Matt Ryan. It's, it's funny to me how there's two different sides to him. The one he shows us when everyone's watching, and then the one, obviously, his teammates adore. The, the real him, right? The one that is just he lets his guard down. He, he talks normal. But it's just funny how he, he does both. Yeah, and I think successful people can usually do that, right? Yeah. If you're a successful person like Jalen Hurts has been, you're really good at just connecting with other people and kind of telling them what they want to hear and, and you know being able to converse with them on really any level. 
it's not surprising, right? When we talk about Jalen Hurts and hear about his leadership qualities, it, a lot of this is because of that. Yeah, and I, I just think the reality is if he was always the guy that he is at the podium, he probably wouldn't be, be as beloved by his teammates. I mean, that guy's kind of dry and boring. But there's the, there's the other side of him that is authentic and the teammate those guys love, and, and they, they obviously want to run through a wall for him. And it's, it's, it's cool that he could be both of these, and, and he's been good at it now for a little while here with the Philadelphia Eagles. Sorry, 215-592-9494. Let's take a call and then give you the projected spreads for the potential Super Bowls. I thought it was really interesting when I saw these. Gary is in Whitehall. Hey, Gary. Hey, what's happening, Joe? How you doing? Good, Gary. What's up? Uh, I got a little bit of uh, Hurts and Eagles. and uh, Let's go to Roland first. Okay. Yes, he's deserving, but, I mean, I mean, you know as well as I do they, how they change the format as far as getting in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think if he had stayed in Philly his whole career, he probably wouldn't be in the in the Hall of Fame, and I'll say why. Because of his uh, relationship with the Philadelphia media, and who votes the all uh, the uh, Hall of Fame, the writers. Sure, yeah, of course. And you know, and he, he did not have a good relationship with the with the Philadelphia media. He didn't, and I. And I it's funny because I don't. I never thought of him as someone. Who was a bad dude, but like he didn't care about all this stuff, right? Like the media, right. the attention, the camera, it just wasn't for him. Uh, I mean, Howard was telling a story earlier where he he kind of tried to tell him like, "Hey, if you do this, you'll get endorsements," and he didn't care. He didn't want any of that. He just he was a different kind of dude. Right, right. I mean, but I mean, yes, he, he was one of the better defensive defensive third bases that I've seen. I mean, I, I'm I'm old enough. I, I saw uh, Robinson at the end of his career, and I saw Schmitty. And there really is, you know, you can put him in the, definitely in the top five, you know, of third basemen defensively. Um, he didn't have the great offensive numbers, but he was still a plus offensive player. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, he's deserving. I mean, it's just how, you know, the Hall of Fame has changed their, their election format and everything else. And I don't, I, I really don't like how they do it because it's, the writers that do it, so that's just me. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. You got to get the seventy-five percent, and then you kind of some guys get ten percent, and they work their way up. So it, it is unique, and it obviously gives us a lot. Gary, what are you thinking here on the birds? Oh, um, I think it's. Uh, I think they're going to win. It's not going to be obviously. It's not going to be like last week. Because um, I predicted a blowout, and I was you know pretty spot on. Um, I just. You got two great defenses going. Um, you got one team that's got a better offense, and that's only because of the quarterback. And then now, the thing about that other quarterback is he's on the road coming into a hostile environment that he hasn't faced yet. And um, I just, I don't know. The only thing that really scares me about this game is actually. Um, Kyle Shanahan against Jonathan Gannon. And, I mean, they got, they're coming in banged up a little bit. Both their running backs, McCaffrey and um, uh, drawing a blank on the, uh, the backup. Oh, Eli. Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell. Yes, yes they're both banged up. Um, granted, they still have Debo, but he's not the same either coming back from his injury. 
Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of uh, short, quick passes, and which plays to our defense because we don't like to give anything up over the top. But they are very good at yak. So um, we got to be on our tackling team. we got to be spot on with making the tackles at open field. And um, I just think I think we can get pressure on Purdy without even blitzing. And, yes, they have uh, Williams on the, on, the, on the left tackle. I don't think you're going to see much out of Sweat or anybody else that's on the right side defensive end. I think – I think our pressure is going to come up the gut, honestly. Uh, and um, I don't see them running the ball on us. And um, I think it's going to be close, but I think it's going to be like, uh, let's say, 28 20. I'll take that. Listen, Gary, if they get to 28 against Purdy and Purdy, uh, Gary, I always preach the call. You know that. If they get to 28 against Purdy, they're going to win this game. We had Brad Spielberger on about 30 minutes ago, and he, he thinks it could be a high score, higher scoring game than the number, than the, uh, the over-under in the game. We'll see. Um, I, I haven't finalized this, but I have a number in my head. I have 24-20 in my head right now. I think if the Eagles could get to 24 points, they're going to win this game. That, that's like the magic number in my head right now. If they get to 24, I don't think Purdy's going to come here and get to 24. Well, maybe he'll get to 21, 23, 22. I'm not saying they're going to win by a lot, but I, I, I think 24 is the number for the Eagles coming up on, on, on Sunday. If they get there, I, Gary mentioned 28. If they get to 28, I don't, I don't think Purdy's getting to 29 points. No, and I think you saw a lot of cracks showing in Brock Purdy yeah. in, in that offense, and I know they have Debo Samuel. I know they have George Kittle. They they have weapons on that side of the ball. Christian McCaffrey, obviously. But I don't know. I just I, I look at Purdy. I look at how he's played, and I know they put up thirty some points a couple weeks ago. But I just I don't think they can compete in a shootout. And if the Eagles are able to overcome their defense and create that situation, I just don't think the Forty ers will be able to hang on. So I know this is a better team um, than the last year's Niners, who went to the title game and lost. They're better, right? They're having a better regular season. They're a better team. And Purdy is a different quarterback, but I think there's some similarities to Jimmy G, right? They're not going to score 40 um, most games. There's a kind of a limit when they play a good defense. Last year, in the Niners' run to the, to the Super Bowl, here's how many points they scored. 23, 13, and they won the title game with 20 points last year. Their defense carried them to the Super Bowl. If the Eagles can get to 24, I just keep looking at that as the number. Like, are they really going to come here? Is Purdy going to come here on the road and score 27 or 25 to 27 points? I don't think he is. I think that's the number. Now, if the Eagles get shut down and they only score 17, they're going to lose. I mean, I think there's also a level the Niners are going to get to points-wise um, with that with, with that offense and the playmakers. Have. All right, I wanted to mention this because I think it's really interesting. So, if you look right now at the Super Bowl odds, we'll go to FanDuel here. Super Bowl odds in the moment right now, the four teams are as close as you could really get um, heading into title game weekend. So, we have the Eagles as two-and-a-half-point favorites over at FanDuel, Bengals as one-and-a-half-point favorites. Odds to win the Super Bowl right now. Eagles are the favorite to win the Super Bowl, plus 230. The Bengals at plus 240 are your second favorite. Chiefs at plus 280. Niners at plus 320. This will be only the fifth time in the last 23 years where we have multiple games. Uh, well, actually, the fifth time in the last 23 years we have conference title games, fourth and fifth time of three points or less, if we stay out there, right, if we if the line stays the way they are right now. It only happened once in the same year, and it was 2016. This is pretty rare. You have two games this evenly matched. 
So obviously the Super Bowl odds are, are pretty evenly matched. But I saw this and I thought it was interesting. So Superbook, um, uh, you know, Sportsbook, ha- have put out their potential odds, like their guesses on Super Bowl matchups and what what the line on the game would be. So here are the four lines, and and I'm not repeating myself on purpose. This, these are actually the lines. Eagles Chiefs, Eagles minus one, Eagles Bengals, Eagles minus one, Chiefs Niners, Niners minus one, Bengals Niners, Niners minus one. So they're setting the NFC as a one point favorite as of this moment in the Super Bowl. Minus one, all four matchups. Ba- basically, a pick 'em. Were they that high on the Bills? Because remember we talked about this a week or two ago. The AFC was like minus 135 to, to win the Super Bowl, right. right? Someone from that field over the NFC. Is it because the Bills, they were so high on the – if it was the Bills, would they be two points ahead of the Eagles or Niners? That's a really good question. Um, so I'm looking at a different sports book right now, and they have – you know you could forecast the whole thing? Like you could pick like Eagles over Niners right now and get a number on it. Now, they don't have the spread on the game. You just pick, like, you know, who wins and, and you get an odds on it, right? Their shortest number is Eagles to beat Bengals. So maybe you're right. Maybe all these sports books were just assuming the Bills were going to be there, like kind of budgeting that in. Because right now, FanDuel has the, the shortest number on a Super Bowl forecast is Eagles to beat the Bengals. That's plus 490. The next one is Bengals to beat the Eagles. So it does feel now like the NFC. I mean, the one thing that I do think is, didn't it feel like all year everyone just assumed the AFC was better? I don't think the Chiefs and Bengals are are a step above the Eagles or Niners. No, and especially with Patrick Mahomes right. being hobbled the way he is. Yeah, I think it's pretty even. Um, I mean, I think it'd be wild if we get a one point number in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's basically just like uh, toss up, pick it. Yeah, and I don't know when the last time we had something that close. I mean, I even either. the Rams last year, I think, were four or five. It was they? four because I remember taking Burrow with four, and then they, the Rams won by what three? Yeah, and that Cooper Cup touchdown. Right. So yeah, I remember taking Burrow with four points because I thought that was it just I, he was too good of a quarterback not to take four points with. So that yeah, you. I mean, usually we don't get these kind of numbers, and there've been there have been more closer Super Bowls. A lot of the Patriots Super Bowls were three, three and a half, four. They weren't giant numbers, but. One in a Super Bowl? That's that's pretty rare. I mean, usually there's a favorite in the game. Yeah, I know we hate the Patriots, but that Patriots dynasty was really good for business for the NFL, wasn't it? Great. All the close the games. fact that there was someone to root against and the fact that all of their games ended up being close. I mean, in the 90s, the Super Bowl stunk, right? Like, weren't there blowouts every year? And then when the Patriots came up, I mean, there was like a decade where every game was down to the last possession. Yeah, I had to sit there through stand. So I think the first Super Bowl I stayed up for fully. I mean, I remember watching Bills and the Cowboys in the early 90s as a kid. But the first one I was like excited because I was like, I could stay up the whole thing, was the Chargers and the 49ers. And the game was over in a quarter and a half. It was, it was, oh, it was pretty similar to this past Giants-Eagles game. Like, the game was just a complete... I think the Niners scored, like, 50 points or 40-something points. Steve Young was the MVP. Jerry Rice had a big play early. And the, and the other team had Stan Humphreys, at quarterback. Their co- I remember the name of their coach. Uh, what was his... Co- uh, Bobby something? The 94 Chargers. I forget his name. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Ross, maybe, was his name? I think it was Bobby Ross was the coach of the, the Chargers. But the game was awful. We, uh, Bobby Ross. Yeah, the, the 90s had... 
a good amount of those. So they I had like eight out of ten uh, finished with a multiple possession spread. So I'm, let me try to remember the ones that didn't. Uh, the Broncos and Packers was a close game. Elway against Favre. That was 31-24. And I guess the Giants-Bills with the Norwood kick. And that was a, a one-point game. That's it? The rest were, were double, you know. The rest were, were double digits or blowouts until the Rams beat the, the Titans by one in 99. But then you go from there. After the Ravens destroyed the Giants, three-point game. You had the Raiders kind of fall apart. Three-point game, three-point game, ten-point game, uh, seven-point game, three-point game, four-point game. Saints beating up on the Colts on that, uh, you know, last second pick six by Tracy Porter, right? Tracy Porter, yep. Three-point game, four-point game, three-point game. 43 to 8 Seahawks, four point game. Uh, Broncos beating up on Cam Newton, six point game, eight point game, 10 point game, 10 point game, 20 point game, three point game. So you mentioned the Brady uh, and the Belichick run was great for the NFL. You know what else was? The salary cap. Because I, I, I found a historical chart of all the spreads in the Super Bowl. You know what changed this? The salary cap. Yeah, I'm sure that helped. Yeah, I mean, it evened everything out. So uh, the. Those games weren't outliers. Like the game Tucker was just going over the, the the blowouts in the '90s. They were supposed to be. So if you go back to starting in 1990, I guess January of '90, the the uh, 49ers Broncos Super Bowl. Here are the spreads moving forward: 12, Bills Giants was seven. Obviously, that was an upset. Um, Washington was a seven point favorite of the Bills. Cowboys six and a half over the Bills. Cowboys ten and a half over the Bills. So the one I mentioned that I uh, the, when I was a kid I stayed up for for the first time Chargers Niners you know what the spread on that game was someone should have told me that I could have went to bed early I was eight or nine I didn't know about spreads you know what the spread on the game was eighteen and a half eighteen and a half in the Super Bowl next year Cowboys uh, Pittsburgh thirteen and a half Packers Patriots fourteen Green Bay was an eleven point favorite in the game Elway upset them um, then it went to seven and a half seven. And then we started to get more towards touchdown spreads. There was a couple outliers, like the Rams were 14-point favorites over that first Patriots team, but and the undefeated Patriots were 12 over the Giants. But really, other than that, the last two decades, 4, 7, 7, 4, 7, 7, 5, 3, 2 and a half, 4 and a half, 2. The, I guess the one that could be like this, we mentioned the one, Patriots-Seahawks, the Marshawn Lynch, the... Um, Russell Wilson interception at the end zone. That was a one point game. That's the only one I could I could find here that was as small as what we're projecting three weeks from now. Just that one. Just that one. That's it. Chiefs Niners was one and a half. The Garoppolo misses. Uh, what was his name down the field? He had a he had a guy open down the field. I think that finished with like an eleven point spread because Kansas City scored a, a garbage time touchdown. Ten. Yeah, it was thirty one twenty one. Yeah, and that was a, that, okay. So we've had two in the last decade that are under a touchdown or under a field goal, um, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, the, the games just have gotten closer and they're more competitive. But I, I just find it amazing if we could have a one point spread anyway in the Super Bowl. That that makes all of this so much fun because I have. I mean, could you have any conviction right now who's going to win the Super Bowl? I, I think the Eagles will, but it could be the Bengals, it could be the Chiefs, it could be the Niners. Yeah, I think. And I know people love the Bills, but I think the four best teams in the NFL are the four teams playing right now. Like, you don't have an upstart. You don't have an underdog. You don't have a Cinderella, unless you want to throw Brock Purdy in there. But I think the 49ers have a long enough track record that you can't necessarily 
put them in that category anymore. I don't know. You can make an, a case for all four of them. Like, I think the Eagles have been the best team from week one. I think the 49ers are the hottest team and have the best defense. The Chiefs have the best quarterback in the NFL, although he's dealing with an ankle injury. And you look at the Bengals. I, I just I don't know how to categorize the Bengals. Are they assassins? Like, what Joe Burrow does in the postseason just blows my mind because he doesn't really have a ton of highlight plays either. He just dices you up, and you look up, and at the end of the game, you're down 27. Yeah, I thought about uh, watching the game on Sunday, the snow. It reminded me of early Brady. There was a lot of those snow games they had. Obviously, the the game that John Ritchie played in was <clears throat> you know the one everyone talks about, but there was a lot of those in those runs, and he just – Tom Brady's never – I mean, what highlight does Tom Brady have in his career? It's just 7-yard completion after 10-yard completion after 12-yard completion just for 20 years, and that's that's what Joe Burrow does. That will be – if we get the Eagles and Bengals, it'll be an awesome Super Bowl, but boy, you know, I mean, I, I'm good with Gannon right now, and I think we should apologize to him. That will be the biggest challenge of the guy's career. Go stop Joe Burrow. Go stop Patrick Mahomes. And, and Tucker wants him to shut him out. But can Yeah, he, I mean, I do think it'll be tough, but the one thing that this – Defense has going for them is their pass rush, right? And if you're going into the Super Bowl, even though Patrick Mahomes, if they get it there, will have, you know, three weeks to recover from that high ankle sprain. You're playing a a Chiefs offense with a hobbled quarterback, or you're playing a Bengals offense with an offensive line that has a lot of holes in it right now. I think both of those would favor the Eagles defense. Like what the Eagles defense does well. I think would take away a lot of what those offenses want to do. It would. It'd be an amazing matchup. Either way, I can't wait for it. We got a lot more to talk about this week. Tomorrow night back at 6. Is it a Mac attack tonight? Tuesday night hang with Jody Mack? All right, Jody Mack. He's got some uh, Hall of Fame takes. Oh, I mean, I, I always, one of my favorite Jones, I mean, takes about the Hall of Fame, not Hall of Fame quality takes. Or you could say it either way. I mean, it, it, it's a play on words. I always enjoy my ride home on Hall of Fame induction night or you know, Hall of Fame announcement night. Uh, when Jody's on, because we get baseball takes from Jody. Um, I, I wonder what he'll say about I'm, – I'm curious what Jody thinks. I, I think he probably believes Roland belongs in. That would be my guess. We'll, we'll see if Jody – he does or not. I'm sure he'll tell you off the bat of his show. And then some of the guys that made some jumps. and, and I mean, Billy Wagner might get in. I mean, he probably will get in. He's up to 67%. And next year, certainly for Helton. And next year, we get – Chase Utley on the ballot. Jody Macdax, I'm sure he's got a lot on that. And, of course, the Eagles and the Niners. Up next on Sports Radio 94 WIP.